0: Currently, we are in the fourth main teaching about Jesus. Let's read the passage we're going through. This is in Matthew 18, verse 15. And it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of one of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So this section of scripture is commonly referred to as the section on church discipline, which means about how churches deal with a member who is in error or in sin and the process of confronting it, which sounds uh, kind of heavy handed. However, people and we can often forget to remember the context of this passage. We need to remember that for the last four weeks, we've been going to Matthew 18 and he has been talking about his little ones, his weak and struggling disciples. We have read that we need to be humble, like children sorry, to be great in his kingdom. We've also seen that we need to receive and love these disciples. There's also a serious warning against causing one of these disciples to sin. And finally, he says not to despise them and to go looking for a brother who wanders astray. So this is all part of the package of what he's talking about. And he's talking about community life. This is part of the life as a community of believers. His disciples now have Jesus to lead and settle issues with them. But Jesus is aware that soon he will be going to the cross for the sins of the world. He will be rising on the third day to show his defeat of death. And he will be ascending back into heaven until his final return. And he knows that there will be problems that will come up within the church especially in terms of how they deal with new believers, how they treat each other, how they deal with sin in the church, and how they should forgive one another. He's dealing with all of these issues in his teaching, trying to establish a new way of life for this future community. Therefore, there are several principles that Jesus outlines for life in this community. And the first principle that we need to see when it comes to brothers and sisters that are in error or are sinning against us is to number one, overlook an offense when possible. Overlook an offense when possible. We need to understand this passage in the context of loving, valuing, caring, and forgiving one another as Jesus' disciples. (coughs) That means that when discussing about a brother sinning against you, this is only if this is something that cannot be overlooked. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, that love covers a multitude of sins, meaning that if you can overlook an offense, it is better to do so. Proverbs also says it is a man's glory to overlook an offense in 1911. I'm not going to bring up every time my wife or my son sins, or does something that offends me because that is not helpful. Many times I can let it go because I can figure out the context of why it happened, and the vice versa is true. For example, this week or this last week, I wasn't able to spend a lot of time with Stephanie and wasn't able to be as helpful with the kids. And I know this was hard for her. However, she was able to overlook this because uh my semester's nearing the end, I was preparing for the sermon. We we're going through several stages of getting the home including the walkthrough and all the paperwork that needed to happen and she was able to overlook this offense um, because she understood the context so that's the first principle the second principle is we need to confront it if there is something we cannot overlook or there is a pattern of sin At the same time, we need to not overlook everything just for the sake of quote-unquote peace. While there are times to overlook an offense, there are other times to bring it up to another believer. Sometimes we try to overlook something, but it is definitely eating us alive on the inside. and We cannot stop thinking about it. And this is something that I definitely struggle with. I try to let something go for the sake of being at peace, but I know it's actually causing me a ton of stress and anxiety. Um one time this is several this is over a year ago now, maybe a year and a half, I I preached the message of the symphony and I got some positive feedback mostly because I was preaching and I don't preach much and people were just trying to encourage me. However, one individual, he was much younger than me, uh, he gave me quite a bit of criticism for my sermon. <coughs> And I tried to receive what he had to say, but it was offensive. Um, And I never brought it up. So I was trying to be uh, like the bigger person. But looking back, uh, I should have brought it up and discussed it with him because I remember it ended up damaging the relationship in the long run. And it, it violates what Jesus is talking about here. So therefore, if it's something we cannot overlook, we need to bring it up. We also need to bring it up if it's a pattern of sin in the person's life. A pattern of sin is something that has been done to you or others more than once, whether or not you have brought it up before. If someone is sinning against you or others repeatedly, you need to look to your brother or sister's best interest no matter how difficult. I don't like disciplining my son Elliot. I like to have fun with him. I like I like playing with him. I like talking with him. However, I'm not loving him if I'm not training him how to be an adult. And if he is, there's things in his life that need to change. The most loving thing I can do is to give him discipline and to confront the things that he needs to change and to give him consequences and to let him know that this is not how adults behave. This is not how humans behave. So we are not loving our brothers and our sisters if we try to cover up or make excuses for patterns of sins that are offensive. Tough love, which is the title of my message was tough love for the church. Tough love means doing the hard work of confrontation so that we can grow into the person that God wants them to be. And I've been in Kuwait probably as long as anybody on this Zoom call. And I've seen so many people just kind of wander away from the faith. And it's super sad. Yeah, I, I've seen people just kind of decide, hey, I'm not going to go to church on Fridays. I'm going to do girls' rugby instead. And that started a snowball effect of not going to church, not engaging with Christian brothers and sisters. And soon, they're they're not really much of a Christian anymore. And I've seen this happen many, many times. And you would think Kuwait, like why Kuwait? Like you think somewhere like Bermuda where there's um, beautiful beaches and alcohol and plenty of sin. you Think Kuwait where it's highly restrictive anyway. Why would there be such a proclivity for people to wander away from the faith? I have no idea why that is. Maybe it's just because there's a lot of young people here, maybe the first time away from their parents, um, maybe just getting in with the wrong crowd. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to confront, and I have confronted, and it's not pleasant to do so. But if there is an issue, we need to confront it if we can, um, so that that path can be cut short early rather than later. And if if you cannot overlook it, it doesn't mean it's always a sin. Now, of course, Jesus is talking about sin here, because that's what he says. But it may not always be a sin that drives you to talk to your brother or sister about an issue. You may even believe it to be a sin, but you won't know for sure unless you talk to him or her about it. Oftentimes, it's just a miscommunication or a perception or something completely unintentional that can spark conflict and disagreement within a a member of the church. However, you will not get to the bottom until you talk to them about it and we need to know that deep relationships have conflicts. You know, we live in a world where we, where we want there to be a lack of friction. But a lack of friction and a lack of conflict does not mean that there are good relationships. Rather, if there are no signs of miscommunication or any issues, that tells me that the issues in that the relationships in the congregation are not deep or meaningful. When I was a very young Christian, I first gotten married Um, uh, we married for I think less than a year and I went to a small group leader and we were fighting all the time and I went to him we went to them I think together or I went to him by myself I believe and I said "I'm I'm having all these conflicts with my wife I don't know what to do can you help me and um he said to me uh my wife and I don't really have conflicts so I don't know how to help you." And that was really, like, that was devastating to me, uh, personally. Like, um, I did not know what to, I was like, I must be a a terrible husband who must have a terrible marriage. Um, But I found out, like, 10 years later, they got separated. Um, So that made me think, I don't know the, the details around it, but that makes me think that, maybe the reason they didn't have conflicts is because the relationship did not go deep. And if I think of my own relationships with my wife, my kids, my best friends, there has definitely been plenty of conflict, confusion, miscommunication. And that is perfectly normal being in in a fallen world. I mishear or misread something my wife says or her tone and it upsets me or Elliot reacts in anger to a decision. That is part of my relationship with these people because we are sinful. But what is abnormal is to not talk about these issues and get to the bottom of them. (coughs) Excuse me. Glossing over them and pretending they don't exist almost always makes matters worse rather than better and causes conflict to turn into bitterness. This is why Jesus tells us to talk to the brother that sins against us or we think sins against us. We may find that it is something completely unintentional, and we can save ourselves a lot of pain just from clearing up a miscommunication or something like that. The third principle Jesus talks about here is, if the sin is not against you, think carefully about whether to bring it up right it says if the brother sins against you we need to remember that this passage is primarily talking about offenses against us personally not sins in general if someone is committing a sin against someone else we need to think and weigh it carefully whether it's worth bringing up and whether we have the right to speak into the relationship in many cases it's better not to speak as i've said before We've only earned the right to speak by having a deep and fruitful relationship. Then it may be worthwhile to bring it up. However, this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Also, this is for Christian brothers and sisters, not for the world. I think some of the same principles can apply, but the idea that of sin being an issue to an unbeliever would not make a lot of sense because we live in a world where the concept of sin itself might be offensive. So we just need to be careful and wise about how we approach non-believers with issues that we have. And I've seen my share of church fighting, church splits and church ugliness. And Jesus's pattern here is not always a one size fits all for any situation in a congregation. The pattern that Jesus lays out is for one member sinning against another. In situation where, uh, for example, someone sins publicly against a church or a group of the church, it may require public response. Or if a group of people sin against another group, it may require quite a bit of untangling to figure out the root of the issue. So we don't want to force this passage to fit every issue in the church, because it primarily deals with one member sinning against another member. The fourth principle is to remember the goal. If someone sins or hurts you personally and you cannot overlook it or it's a pattern or a significant sin, then we need to first speak to this individual by himself. The goal, Jesus says, is if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You don't need a 74-point confession out of the individual to gain him back and restore fellowship. Just listening once the brother is willing to listen you begin the process of bringing him back into fellowship and unity this may take several conversations or discussions to get to where they realize they have sinned and apologized or maybe it was more of a communication or another issue so be prepared for different possible outcomes and longer and possibly multiple conversations the goal is for him to listen and for you to gain your brother back into fellowship with you. So therefore, how you bring it up matters. If you bring it up when you are still very angry about it, you're not not—you're likely not to get him or her to listen. If you bring it up also while the person is super distracted or busy or upset with you, then you're also unlikely to have the person listen to you. Um. Get some distance and think about the time and the place. It's critical that you get some mental and emotional distance from the event, the sin, the offense, and you make time for your brother or sister to listen to you when both you and the other person are not distracted and not upset. You want the person to listen to you. So make sure you think carefully about when is the right time and place to bring it up. You also want to be careful about how you speak. People have a natural tendency to become defensive, like I was when that person had some criticisms of the sermon that I spoke. I became defensive in my heart. So one strategy is to bring it up humbly. Not that it wasn't offensive or that it hasn't affected you. try to keep your emotions under control as best as you can as you tell the person and give them some moments to think about it as you begin the discussion some people use what i call the sandwich approach which starts with something positive the bread then you get to the meat which is the point of sin or issue between you and your brother if he listens and wants to have more conversation or apologize or repent then you end with something positive as well another piece of bread. Strategies like this can help you gain your brother back, which is the goal. Number five, the fifth principle is to establish clarity. If you have spoken to your brother humbly about his sin or issue between you, yet he does not listen, it is time to bring in others to make sure the issue is clear and transparent. It's easy to deny something when it's between you and someone else, but it becomes much more difficult when others are witnessing and agreeing with the charge. I have often joked or about or ignored my wife's criticisms of me because when it's just her and me. But there have also been times when I'm with friends uh, and they also agree with my wife about something that she brings up. And that is a lot more embarrassing, but it's also allowed me to see my error much more quickly and make the necessary changes about my life and behavior. So Jesus makes it clear that bringing a few others is designed to make sure the person in error or the person being accused of the error clearly hears the charges against them and to turn up the pressure a little bit. The value of the witnesses is to make sure the wrongdoing brought forward is true and accurate and to show that the witnesses are in agreement. We know this because Jesus alludes to this passage in Deuteronomy 19.15, which talks about whether a crime should be sustained among the people of Israel. It says, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. However, Jesus intensifies this rule to not only talk about crime, but to talk about sin and uses this as a framework for which to make sure that sin is confronted. Number six, principle number six, bring it to the leadership of the church. While he may be forced to hear the establishment of a couple witnesses along with the offended party, he may still refuse to listen. At this last point, it needs to go to the church. Now, what this does not mean is that you take the microphone and mute everybody else and air, air all the dirty laundry about this person and how they sinned against you. Of course, that would bring chaos and confusion. And this is not what God intends for his people. What Jesus is referring to here is bringing this before the leaders of the assembly just as major issues were brought before the leadership of the local synagogue in Jesus' day. As Judaism grew and expanded beyond the region of Jerusalem, it needed more than the temple to be the place of worship for its people, especially in many of the small rural towns where Jesus spent his time preaching and teaching. For these reasons, towns with at least 10 male Jews over 13 years old built synagogues where there was prayer, singing, and reading of scripture. However, the synagogues were not just for Sabbath services, but were a center of social life as well, where Jews could find a common identity, ask questions, and belong in a, have a sense of belonging in this pagan world. These synagogues also had a group of elders who would lead the congregation and make decisions about issues of the day. So when Jesus is talking about bringing a person in error before the leaders. This is not just an issue of moral pressure, but a significant social stigma as well as what he was thinking of, thinking about the, the synagogue. In times during the early church, the congregation was also a lifeline for support and survival. So if a person would not listen to a few others, they would be far more likely to listen to the ones with whom they not only worship, but with whom they spend all their time and got a sense of commonality outside of the Jewish and pagan world they lived in as young, new Christians. So this was to make it very clear that this needs to change, this issue, whatever the struggle was, needed to change. Principle number seven, if they still refuse to listen, refrain from fellowship. If you have brought the issue before the person They don't listen to you, they don't listen to other people in the church, they don't listen to the leadership, then they need to be regarded as outsiders. And we see how Matthew betrays his Jewish orientation by referring to them as Gentiles and tax collectors. The Gentiles were considered unclean by their habits of eating non-kosher foods and worshiping false gods. Tax collectors were even worse as Jews who conspired with the Roman government to further enslave and weaken their brothers and sisters for their own profit. So what he is saying is they need to be treated as those who are no longer part of the church, treated as non-members, treated as, as yeah, as non-members. But we need to remember that the goal is to bring them back. This is not to be cruel. But to put appropriate pressure on the individual and to, as Jesus says, gain your brother back. Perhaps after being shamed and ostracized by the church, they would see the error of their thinking and be willing to talk, repent, and change, which is the whole goal of the process. Paul understands this teaching of Jesus and applies it as he writes in 2 Thessalonians, which is regarded as one of Paul's earliest letters. He says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. And then listen to this, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So this person is not an enemy of the church, but rather is to be treated this way as a brother to bring him back to the fold. Principle number eight, take this responsibility seriously. Jesus goes on to talk about binding and loosing in heaven and on earth. What Jesus means by this is that convicting and disciplining church members is not just a physical act, but it's also a spiritual act. This same phrase is used when Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom in a few chapters ago, which is connected to the Old Testament passage of Isaiah 22 which reads, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. As part of God's people, we all have spiritual authority to forgive or to withhold forgiveness to a brother or sister. So we need to take this responsibility of church discipline very seriously and think carefully Before we go forward with it. And principle number nine Jesus is with us as authority and discipline is used. Jesus gives us a statement of assurance that whatever we ask of him, if there is agreement in the church, it will be done. In the context of this setting, Jesus is talking about an erring brother or sister and asking God, Jesus that they be restored to the flock not about asking for a new car or a new boat we need to remember that this will be a small and struggling community for quite some time these little children need assurance that the movement of christianity will not fall apart at the first sign of disagreement or discord in the church and we still need this assurance today we see all kinds of issues with the church today therefore we can and should pray with confidence that those who are in error and have sinned against us can be brought back to the community of believers and into the fellowship. He also ends by giving them confidence that Jesus is with them as they grapple with whether to forgive or to pursue issues with brothers and sisters, and he is with us today. That's what he says. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Are there people in your life that you think have sinned against you or people that you have sinned against? Should you pursue them and try to talk about it or let it go? Know that as you talk to other Christians and pray with them, know that Jesus is there with you. (coughs) As we conclude, Excuse me. I want you to know that I understand that it's easy to feel hurt by brothers and sisters because Christians, we can sometimes be the worst. And even our church has its own share of problems and issues that probably could have been dealt with better. And we've there's been not a lot of opportunities to discuss them because COVID broke out and we've been meeting online for over a year now. But I want you to know that I'm always available and Abiel's available, and anybody in this meeting group is available if you want to talk or pray or spend time together or talk about any issue in your life or in the church. No issue is too big or too small and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this community of believers who have been here coming online for over a year now. This is clearly not an ideal setting. We long for the day when we can meet physically, meet in person, hug each other, touch each other, have a physical building, share uh, food and share fellowship and share laughter in a physical environment, God. But we still want to be faithful to you. We want to sing songs to you. We want to hear your word preached, God. And we love you, Jesus. God, I pray that. That the church in Kuwait, you would strengthen it. That you'd use this passage of scripture to help us bring other believers into fellowship. That those who are wandering from the fold, who are feeling very confused, feeling very isolated, feeling very far away and disconnected from our church, from other churches, from the church in general in Kuwait, God, that you would bring them back. That you would convict them, Holy Spirit, God, and you'd use us. In whatever way you've called us to, God, to 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 bring them back into fellowship, to bring them back into some some sense of community and reunion together. Jesus, we love you. And as we continue to read your scriptures, God, we pray that you would be with us and continue to bless us, bless this land and this country. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.